And we're back. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Spilling the Truth Show is back with two new episodes this week. Uh, today's episode is going to be all about blind tasting some funky, skunky, nasty backroom wines. We talk beer. We talk about what's going on in our lives. We talk about the future of the show. Great episode to work us back into the rhythm of things. Episode coming up tomorrow is going to be all about beer, hazy IPAs. And then we're going to next week hit the ground back with a bunch of really cool wine topics. Uh, we have a new video set up. We're going to be going live on Twitch here soon. Uh, we're going to have videos archived on YouTube, all sorts of fun stuff coming up for Spilling the Truth. So keep an eye on the website, Twitter, Instagram, all of our different social media things. So thank you all. We appreciate you and enjoy today's episode. It's been a while. I know. Two, three, four weeks now? Way too long to record. It's been a while. The funny thing is you probably could have strapped a mic up to either you or myself over the last four weeks, three weeks, and had some hilarious conversations. I've had some fun conversations recently. <laughs> well, you left. You went to go visit your family in Florida. Yeah, we went down to that Florabama border, that right at the, you know, literally the border of Florida and Alabama. Do the people that are actually call it Florabama? <laughs> yeah, they do. There's actually a bar. At the border and the Gulf, uh, what is that place called? Like the Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. And it's called the Florabama Bar. And there's a line that goes right through it. There's actually an ATM on the Florida side because it's cheaper to get from than if you're on the Alabama side. No shit. Now yeah. that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So there's no like a fee or a tax or something you have to do. I was also down there at the same time. Hangout Festival was going on. So the crowds were insane. Also the exact same time they passed that abortion law. So everybody was also going batshit crazy too. It was a unique time to be in Alabama. Or in Florabama. Florabama. Wow. Yeah, but it's beautiful, man. Like, it's awesome. It's one of those beaches where the uh, the sand is like powder more than it's kind of rocky. You know, it's Gulf Coast area. And I went to work on as many oysters as I possibly can. I'm finding more and more. I absolutely love oysters. They're you, delicious. You drank some good wines, too, while you were down there. I did. I love this. So my mom, who is totally oblivious to wine, uh, I took her to Ridge one year. This must have been, oh, I don't know, like three, four years ago when my cousin was getting married. And so I took her to Ridge, and, you know, she had the Montebello, the Chardonnay, all the Zins and stuff. And she joined the club, forgot she joined the club. And then when we showed up in Florida, or Alabama, Florabama, <laughs> she brought a box with her, and she goes, are these wines any good? And lays out six different Ridge Zinfandels. And I'm like, no, these are terrible. I'm going to drink them by myself. You shouldn't have any of these at all. Dude, it was so great. I mean, Ridge is a super iconic winery. Dude, they're awesome, awesome wines. The Montebello is beyond amazing but i don't think they'll ever get the appreciation from your average consumer on how amazing their zinfandels are were those all current vintage or were there was there some age on some of them uh current slash maybe one year past release so they're all 2015 2016 wines one uh we had a couple from paso robles one was our guyersville another one was russian river uh and another one was from dry creek and then there was one from another obscure area that I, I just, I think it was like maybe Alexander Valley. Um, I just can't think of it off the top of my head. But the nice thing was, is they were all different with the exception of like two. There were like two doubles. So it, it was, it was really fun to try them all uh, while they all drank their Pinot Grigio with ice and uh, Fetzer wines. And I'm just drinking all this good stuff. It was great. That's awesome. People give other people a hard time when they put 
ice in a, bo- a glass of wine or something like that. But hey, if that makes you happy and you're drinking more wine, at least you're not drinking beer or something else. At least you're drinking wine. Yeah, you know, it's just everybody's got different preferences. You know, some people like to have beer warm. Some people like it cold. Some people want, you know, some people like martinis and some people like their drinks on the rocks. Well, you know, the Europeans don't really drink ice in their water. I noticed that. You ask for it, and they give you, like, two ice cubes. Yeah, when they come to the United States, they want water with no ice all the time. and Or they'll order a Coke, and they don't want ice in it. They don't use it there. I wonder if that's because they're so much colder where they are that naturally it's already cool, versus if you come to Arizona or Texas or New Mexico or the Florida coast where it's really hot, and you're like, man, I could, I'd really like some really cold water right now. Or if they just drink it They drink it room normal. temperature? Plus, I, don't, I think ice is a luxury. Think I mean, so? In a way, it is. Okay. The price you pay to power your restaurant or your establishment in Europe is way more than it is here. Really? Yes. The, the, the price of gas in Europe, a lot more. The price of electricity in Europe, way more. That's why they have you know, more efficient cars. That's why a lot of people don't yeah. have air conditioning units. Well, it's crazy because they buy by the liter, and it's like $2 a liter. And you're like, oh, it's cheaper than it. But then when you add it up, what's it like? three liters to a gallon or 5.16 to a gallon. I don't know what it is I'm making because they don't have freedom numbers. But I have an app for that. Yeah. <laughs> I could Google it in five seconds, but I'm not gonna. It always screws me up when I'm driving like 140 kilometers an hour and I'm not going the speed limit in Europe. It's so weird, especially like when we were when I was a kid and we'd get into Canada and they still had at least I'm assuming it still is the same when you're in like the northern states, they have that miles per hour and then just below it in a little smaller bit, it's like the kilometer, so you kind of know. But then it switches in Canada, so you'd be like, oh, 80 kilometers an hour and then like 38 or 40 or whatever the transition is. So you're like, oh, I can go way faster, but you're like, no, 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 you need to go slower, actually. <laughs> I know truckers will have the different speed limits on the back of their truck and they'll be in different circles. In Europe, and it will say what they can go uh, off the highway and on the highway. Okay. People drive crazy over there. I love how they drive, though, because everybody stays out of the passing lane. Everybody stays out of the left lane unless you're passing. And as soon as you pass somebody, you get right back into the other lane. Well, they know how to drive well over there. You know, you can go fast on one side. I saw a thing where I'm assuming this is Germany, but I remember I saw a picture where if there's a traffic jam Everybody pulls off to the left or right, leaving the middle open so that ambulances or police cars or somebody can run up the middle just in case. So like they purposely drift a little off to the side as it starts to back up. When traffic starts to slow down, like say everybody's on the highway and you hit a slowdown point, everybody hits their four ways there. If there's any point in which you're hitting your brake on a highway, everybody turns on their four ways. So this way the person behind them knows that. Huh. It's slowing down. You'll see the whole row of people hitting their four ways. Interesting. I know that in like Japan and, you know, for a little bit of China, they have when uh, they mean to say thank you for like letting me in or whatever, they hit their four way so that or their yield or, you know, their hazard lights go on for a couple seconds as a basically a thank you. It's amazing how everybody's culture has really different things. So, you know, like, you know, even in America, we have here in Arizona is real aggressive driving and then all of a sudden we get the snowbirds and it's the worst most absolute terrible slowdown driving now I'm not talking about traffic I mean just bad drivers come to this state when it hits October to like March it's terrible one of the things that uh, one of the winemakers from Italy I used to represent she'd come out of the bathroom always laughing and be like why are you laughing and she's like in America, you have to tell your employees to wash their hands before they come out of the bathroom. Yeah. 
And there, that sign is in every bathroom in America and every restaurant. I yeah. think by law you it's have to by do law it. you have to have it in, in there. In Europe, they don't have that. So they don't have that sign. You'll never see that sign in Europe. And she's she's like she's like our employees know to wash their hands. Yeah. She's like in America, you have to have a sign in every bathroom for it. Yeah, there's always some legal horse crap to every. I imagine in Europe they probably don't have you know if you drink. Uh, this is going to affect your pregnancy or can cause problems because we have those at every single establishment that has any type of drinking. Like, yeah, don't drink while you're pregnant. Don't smoke while you're pregnant. All that stuff. Yeah, you got to hang a whole bunch of different signs up behind your bar. Dude, we're in Arizona. And for you who are listening that's not from Arizona, uh, we're a very heavy gun owning state like we don't really have a lot of restrictive laws so at my bar i have to have a sign that's in the window that says you can't bring a gun into my bar not not just at a common like hey don't bring your gun to the bar we actually have to physically put a sign in the window that says hey you can't bring a gun into this bar and basically at that point they just go and either put it outside or honestly i've had a couple people come in with a gun and we just ignore it. it's kind of like whatever it's arizona man it's weird it is really strange the way people have to brandish the fact they also have a gun, too, a lot of times. Yeah, especially in a lot of... I'm not, I'm not saying it's just America. I mean, it is America, but, yeah, I mean, you know, people carry carry with them all the time. And the people who show that they're wearing a gun, I think, are the exact target that shouldn't be doing that. In other words, like, if you're brandishing the fact that you've got a big-ass rifle or a big-ass gun, and if somebody's going to come in and do something, you'd be the first one they take out because you're showing that, like, oh, I have a gun. Like, the guys who are really, really good and who know what they're doing, like, I know a guy who does full security. Um, he literally trains people to be, like, armored car carriers. Like, that's his job. His whole life is he's a he's a he trains these people to do these things. And he's like, dude, you never, ever, ever let anybody see that you have a gun. You always carry it. You conceal it. And you never, if you have to brandish that, that means the situation is beyond repair and it's game up versus these idiots out there. Like, Oh, look at me. I got my big ass gun on my side. No, you look stupid. It's so strange. All right. Let's not talk about guns. (laughs) Let's talk about wine. I'm a big gun advocate. So who cares? (laughs) I know, but let's talk about wine. Cause we were drinking a wine with some crazy tartrates in it. You want to start with that Viognier from Groundwork? Or yeah. Sans Liege? Right. We're going to finish on that, too, because... All right. So this episode, John and I decided to go into my back room, and we each grabbed two bottles out of my back room. The bottles out of my back room are random samples people sent me, samples that vintage changed at work, stuff maybe somebody wanted us to represent, leftovers from trade shows. I have about 15 cases back there of just random wines that have been lingering, and... Some of them are eight, nine, ten years old. So sometimes we have what we call Russian roulette nights. I love those nights. Where we'll brown bag six of them and we tell somebody to pick a number and then they're forced to take the first sip. Yeah. <laughs> you have to take that first sip. And every for every six that we do, one's a winner. The second one is not bad, and the other four are real suspect. And there's, one is just garbage. There's, yeah, there's always a couple that really surprise us, too. And it's fun because you forget how you brown bagged them. So right now, John and I have four bottles in front of us brown bagged. I really don't even remember really which ones I grabbed. I know one that I grabbed. So I grabbed my two I grabbed. I know what one is for sure. The other one, I just grabbed the top and threw it in. So I actually don't even know what it is. I just know it's a red wine. Yeah. So there are four red wines. They could all be rubbish. It's actually, so these wines have not been in a cooler. They have not been in a stable environment. They've been moved to now three different houses, maybe four along their travels. They might've been shipped to me in a hot UPS truck. (laughs) This is full on Russian roulette. You have no idea these bottles, but there's always at least one gem whenever we do this. 
They're getting down there, though. We're getting lower. I mean... Yeah, after 56 cases, you're down to 17 now. <laughs> Gosh. Dude, we, the amount of wine that you have is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's part of being in the wine business, though. Yeah, and you just get a lot. Being with a local distributor, everyone's always sending sample bottles to represent. And sometimes we would try the first... Somebody would send us 12 bottles. We would try the first six and make up our mind that we weren't going to represent them. And then the other six just came home with us. You know, maybe I give them to a chef to cook with. Maybe I give them to somebody as a gift. Maybe they were, sometimes they were really good bottles. They just didn't work for, for our portfolio. You know, if we already had six different Malbecs or six different Pinot Noirs from Sonoma Coast at the same price, yeah, I really like your wines. So all we will do is cannibalize our own Pinot Noir business in that sake. Yeah. So it's not giving us another bullet in the gun. Whereas if it was a Pinot Noir, maybe from another region, if it was instead of a Mendoza Malbec, if it was a Patagonian one or maybe one from, you know, there were always holes to fill. But sometimes with our portfolio, people would send us this box of samples. We'd look at it and be like, we already have all these yeah, wines. What are we going to do with these? So what do they do? They came home with me. Yeah. And after 10 years... They've stocked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was a, I, if there was ever a hoarder's wine edition. You could have <laughs> that one. Dude, it's great, though, because now we get to have the Russian roulette. This is the first inaugural Russian roulette episode. Yeah. And we've been talking about this for a long time because we do it at we did it at friends' houses. We did it at Giuseppe's uh, BYOB. We've done Russian roulette with your dad. Yeah. We've done it what, around like here. Two years worth of time now. You came up with the Russian roulette idea. Yeah, it's just grabbing those. But sometimes you'll pull a bottle. I'll be like, hey, Damien, should this be in the back room? I'm like, oh, shit. No, it shouldn't. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's a few in those cases that you're like, oh, that's too good. Don't leave that in there. Because I've moved a number of times before. I mean, I've been pretty stable in this house. But before that, I was in three or four places in two or three years. So we're on the... Tartrates. Yeah. I, I, I... So what are tartrates, Jonathan? So it's a form of acid, basically. Um, so you'll notice on our Instagram after this goes up, I'm going to post a picture of this one so you can get a visual of it. Damien will have it as well. So in wine, on a winemaking process, when you get your white wine in, you press and squeeze that juice, it goes into a tank. One of the first things you actually have to do before you start fermenting is basically kind of flash freeze that tank. You want to get it really, really, really cold. And what happens is a lot of this tartaric acid binds together and drops to the bottom. And the cool thing is, is after you run the juice out and do it, the tank kind of looks like a geode. So, and like we had a 200 gallon tank we would do it in and it's just crystallized. It's really, really cool actually. It just sucks to clean more than anything else. But then from there you would ferment your wine. Now when you don't do it, <laughs> And you forget, like, I have definitely been guilty. I did it with a Chenin Blanc where I completely forgot. Once you take a wine, you ferment it, and it's in its bottle, it looks great. But then somebody like yourself goes and you buy it from a store, you put it in your fridge, and, you know, the next day you go and you pull it out, and all of a sudden, like, 10% of the bottle just has all these crystals in it. It looks like the bottle basically shattered within itself and dropped to the bottom. So we call them wine diamonds in the, in the wine industry. And over a long period of time, you'll get a couple to form. But in this case, it looked like uh, it looks like they may have missed a little bit on this one. There was a lot in this bottle. Some people don't cold stabilize because it does draw flavor and it draws it does acid out of your wine. It does. So there's three main types of acid. You have you know malic acid, lactic acid, and tartaric acid. Tartaric is very susceptible to temperature change. 
So when it gets cold, yeah, they'll actually solidify and they'll fall to the bottom of your bottle. In the bottom of this bottle, it looks like like almost like a ground up honeycombs. That's a good way of putting that. It does look like ground up honeycombs. And it's a lot too. There is a lot in the bottom of this. It's like we have about two or three fingers left in this bottle of wine and it's like a snow Probably not gonna drink. It's like a snow globe right now. Yeah. It's actually like a little chunky. We'll have to filter it out or something, but I wanna get some pictures of the way it looks. Yeah. Honestly, when I see this in a white wine. I get excited. It's it, a good. It is a good sign. It means the wine wasn't overly manipulated. It wasn't. It wasn't. Hey, I'm gonna go science the hell out of this wine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's I'm not gonna pass this through filters or you know DE or anything. Yeah, but the, there's nothing wrong with cold stabilization, but it does draw out some acid. Honestly, your wine will age better if it's in there. Well, it's one of the main components of you know long lasting wines is good acid and. It is, it's, the problem is really what it comes down to is the visualization of it. A a consumer who walks in and sees that would be like, ugh, what is that in the bottle? I don't want that. Well, another reason why people cold stabilize is because it takes away the cloudiness that can form in your wine. And, you know, if you cold stabilize your whole tank, then you know your product that's coming out is going to be pretty much crystal clear. So you don't have that issue. So I've got a question. This is going to kind of go off topic, but kind of in the same area. You know, we were talking about hazy IPAs earlier. I wonder if now that younger kids are younger kids, younger adults, whatever, who are drinking wine are coming up, won't care as much about the way the wine looks in the bottle as much as the taste. Because I always grew up, you know, IPAs are clear. All beer was clear, with the exception of Hefenweizen. But like you were showing me, you love your hazy IPAs. Because it's clearly not filtered or anything like that. I wonder if people will take a, a wine like this, like this Viognier we're drinking, and not filter it out and let it stay, you know, kind of hazy. And if people would drink that and be like, oh, I'm drinking a hazy Viognier or I'm drinking a, you know, tartaric acid Viognier, something kind of gimmicky. But with wine, it's going to be insanely different flavor. If I, if you took this Viognier and didn't filter it, that yeasty characteristic along with this wine would be very different than the bottle that you and I are sitting here drinking right now. People could do so many more risky things with beers and liquors than you can do with wine. Because with wine, you get that one shot once a year. Like If you're going to age something in an alternate barrel... You get your vintage. You can't just be like, oh, I guess you could take juice and hold it at 32 degrees and then see how it turns out in your experimental barrel and then move it into, then like try it again. I don't, yeah. But you, you, you don't want to take your whole vintage and be like, hey, I'm going to use mead barrels to age my wine in. And it's going to turn out to be this cloudy, fruity, meaty wine. So maybe do both. Maybe do like a really small allocation of a hazy. Viognier versus a normal, just this is our wine, Viognier. It's just so hard for wine people to experiment because you only get, your juice comes in once a year. Beer, your beer sucks, flush it down the drain, I'll brew another batch tomorrow. Yeah, how many times have you gone to a rent house or another brewery and they have a new thing on the menu? All the time. All the time. I mean, that's the whole thing with beers. You can constantly keep changing up. And yeah, you have your base of your beer. And yeah, I put it in a mead barrel. I put it in this barrel. I put it in that barrel. But you know what? If it sucks, I could just brew another batch. If my if I put all my wine in a mead barrel and it sucks, well, that's all my there money for the 23 year. 23 cases of wine. <laughs> that's yeah. all my money for the year. I just dumped my entire wine down the drain. I see. Now, I really, really like this. And... uh I'm a big Viognier fan. This one's similar-ish. And the unique thing about this one, so this is from Sans Liege. It's their groundwork. 
So I guess more or less their higher end label might be the right way to put it. And uh, he barrel aged this one, not with a whole lot. It says 17% new. The rest is, you know, French and then stainless steel. And I think you nailed a tasting note earlier. It tastes like uh, when we first opened it, like movie theater popcorn in a fruit cocktail like juice cup. Yes. I mean, it smelled like movie theater popcorn instantly. And then it started getting a little fruitier as it definitely o- as it up. warmed up and opened up. I mean, this is also a five-year-old Viognier at this point. Oh, yeah, that's right, too. It's from 2014. It's barrel-aged. Yeah. And it's drinking spot on. I like this wine a lot. This is really cool that just while we were editing that last little bit was, uh, this is a delicious wine. It really complex, really kind of heavy still for this time of year. I wish we would have had like some food with it. Which Cheese would've had... would have been fantastic yes. with this. This wine was a meaty wine. I mean, it had some grip to it. It had some viscosity. I mean, there was body to it. There was character. It, a little heavy, you know, for my personal taste. I personally like more unoaked Viognier's. Me as well. And I think that buttered popcorn at first threw me off. I was like, <laughs> you laughed about it. I didn't think I was going to like it. Well, it smelled like like an overoaked Chardonnay. It did. It smelled, that's exactly what it smelled like. Yeah. But then it changed. Like, And the flavor profile was that more store-bought fruit cup, syrup, and not in a bad way. Yeah, I was going to say, it, that's the nice thing is like wines like that, it's while our tasting notes might sound, you know, mean or weird, it still tastes delicious. Like I would drink this wine again. Yeah, the, the flavor profile to me had that Kroger's fruit cocktail <laughs> syrup. Kind Kro- of. Kroger's is East Coast, right? I think it's everywhere. Is it now? All right, so for us on the West Coast, it's fries. Yes. <laughs> Well, what's what was the main brand that did? Was there like a Del Monte Safeway? No, I think it was Del Monte or whatever did like the main, the high end version of that. Like you buy Safeway brand for eighty nine cents or spend ninety nine and get the high end one. Oh, I think now it's like Organics or whatever they call. That's it. like uh, what's that? I, I, we were talking about this day with salsa, and they were talking about Pace Picante being like the best salsa, and you're like, oh, not New anymore. York City. <laughs> New York City. All right, so why don't we do 1A and, and 1B? B. You want to do mine first? All right. No, one of yours and one of mine. Okay, so 1A. Because you, you had the... I have 1A, 1B. You have 2A, 2B. So let's do 1A and 2 2A. A. Okay, so I'm going to pour the 1A. This is going to be hilarious. These wines are going to suck so much. This is going to be a shit, <laughs> shit tasting. All right, right 1A now. to the left. 1A to the left. So both of these, as John is pouring them, look like rusty, brownish. Definitely, yeah, something. definitely something you would get tetanus off of. <laughs> <laughs> I could smell both of these wines. I could. You know what? It's funny. There are some wines that you can get aroma from aroma from six, seven feet away. You're like, oh, it smells good. But then sometimes, like, oh, two A smells pretty damn good. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. So one thing about these wines, they always have this similar characteristic. It's an oxidized old, I don't even know how to put it. Our term is always the backroom wines, a Dustin wine sometimes. <laughs> but for us, it, it's the wines that have been sitting upright in the sun for 19 years on a counter next to the stove. <laughs> when you finally open that wine, you're like, ooh, Ooh, not so good. Ooh, 1A is not... 1, 1A is not... 1A is struggling. 1A has that scent. 1A... <laughs> what do you call that? <laughs> it's just... I, I don't even have a, a word for it. It's just... Ugh. It doesn't have any fruit. All right, 2B... Or what are we at? 1B? 2B smells... 2B. 2A. 2A. 
Oh, we're going to mess, mess this up a lot. It smells pretty good. It's not too bad. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of the fun thing is, you know, granted, these aren't exactly high-end wines, I think. I don't know. I'm, I, I know what I picked, or I know what I picked on one of them, which is the 1B. But if I'm sitting here smelling these, it's like, have you ever had... You make dinner one night, and you make a sauce in your pan, and then you pour the sauce on your food, and then what's left in the pan, that burnt sauce at the bottom, the burnt oil, you know, whatever's left in the pan, if you smell that pan, that's what an old, bad, outdated wine smells like. It, this smells like port that was sopped up in a oil rag. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is I don't agree on the port But I 100% agree on no, the oil rag No, sm- smell like go deep into it, John Deep in deep, Get deep inside <laughs> By the way, I smell sulfites on this like crazy it, it, Which is really blowing in, me away in, in 1A, it has a really strong oil characteristic Like uh, oil tanker, uh, mechanic floor Yeah, I mean, it's weird because it's not wrong I'm thinking of like stale burnt bread that was like sopped up in some shitty jam. Man, this still has a port characteristic all right. too. Well, all right, but here's the crazy thing. Are you, you not you, getting the sulfites on it? No. I'm, my nose is actually burning. Three times I've seen you almost put that wine in your mouth and you, and you, <laughs> backed, and you backed off at the last second. That's like the kid is like, I'm going to go jump in this pool and he takes a running <laughs> start and then he stops. And goes, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Let me back. Let me try again. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm well, doing. Two A was yours, right, so you got to try it first. No, one A was mine. That's right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, hold on. Here we go. Oh, you know what? Drinkable or not drinkable? All right. As a wine, it's off balance. It's bitter. It's thin, and it tastes like shit. <laughs> All right. Now, actually, to be fair, the taste isn't bad. It's off balance, so like crazy. Like, watch. You get the bitterness behind your eyes. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. See. It's the way you would think a struck match would taste. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a lot of sulfites in this wine. Okay, that's it. That was. There's no finish. There's no finish. There's no mid palate. It barely it, tastes it, like it, anything it, up front. It, it goes from no flavor to bitter to bitter to bitter to bitter to bitter to bitter. Yeah, so I'm going with one it's A. Kind of medicinal too. It kind of has like a Jägermeister thing going on. It feels like they poorly made this wine. I'm not kidding. I smell this like. For as old as this wine is, which I don't remember looking at the date, but I'm assuming it's older. All these wines should be at least 10 years old. Okay, so eight, six to eight years, yeah. six to 10, yeah. I'm telling you, I, like, I'm getting the sulfite burn from too much in there. It tastes like it was cooked, not because it aged, but because it was left in a box in a room by a wall. <laughs> so here's the question. Do you think this wine in its youth, fresh, would have been good? No, I don't think so because of how bitter that is and it's so thin still there's, there's it doesn't n- taste like much in the middle yeah yeah and, you know we were talking in the last episode about like uh something like me sueño's malbec uh napa valley malbec that was almost undrinkable because it was just too oaky and too so big so oaky but we opened a bottle that was like after about three years and it was drinking it was pretty, fantastic freaking good yeah. and i think if that wine was over the top you would still taste the the weight you would still taste the, whereas this is just thin I mean, there's there's nothing, there's really like no structure to this kind of a wine, and I don't I don't even think drinking this young. I think maybe 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 this wine was meant to be drank like maybe a year or two on release, maybe like you'd think of like a Saw Blanc, like you wouldn't age a Saw Blanc five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Maybe this wine, and I, I I'm I think I can remember what this one is when I grabbed it out of the box. But even if I didn't, if somebody blind handed me this. 
I'd say, no, I'm, I'm not going to drink the rest of this at all. And even if it was brand new, I think more the, you know, cookiness out of this is cookedness out of this is, um, due to, you know, user error, <laughs> user error. What? I store all my wines perfectly. The good stuff. Yes. In an Arizona. I don't even know what is perfect. I mean, uh, a cave in France, but then you have mold. Is it a, uh, a cellar in Italy? Like they could say it's a certain percentage of humidity and a certain percentage of temperature, but I always wondered about the mold thing. And here's my thought on this is obviously a cork allows oxygen to move in and out of that bottle because it, it oxidizes on like a microscopic level. And it's great for the wine. You want that. So how does like a mold spore at the microscopic level not work its way through the cork and into the wine? Or maybe it does. What if it does work its way in and that wine's really not being oxidized and all those old tertiary flavors is actually mold spore? I think that alcohol in the bottles might kill whatever tries to get in it. It's true. The sulfites obviously do that as well. But if you think about something along Only the lines of free range. T TCA. Yeah, well, TCA is straight up. That's is a, it's is game a, is over. It's a bacteria mold. But that, once that gets into the wine, it'll change the wine flavor. So yeah. obviously that doesn't get killed instantly. So I wonder what kind of molds are out there. Black. That would, well, black is, well, that's, that's not good for you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in some caves in uh, Europe and there was straight up black mold everywhere. It's crazy because, I mean, it is. So yeast is technically, I think, a fungus more than a bacteria. Maybe it is a bacteria. I'm actually not 100% sure about that as long as I've been making this. I'm actually not sure if yeast is technically its own category or if it's a bacteria, if it's a fungus, whatever it is. But I wonder if you could add something that hasn't been discovered yet to a wine the same way bread or what it, what is it that makes a sour beer well there's there's a couple things but Brettanomyces makes it funky which is a flaw with wine yeah but it's considered a good thing with beer like so th think about maybe there's like a beer thing a whiskey maybe there's a food product that is yet to ever be introduced to wine cuz there's just never been there and maybe it'll make the wine amazing cuz i know there's different strains of yeast that make the wines taste different but i'd be intrigued if one day and natural wine might be it because everybody loves sour beers or a lot of people like sour beers is how you could find a wine thing an ingredient, uh, some type of whether it's a yeast, bacteria, fungus, whatever, that would change the wine so completely that it's a whole new thing. And it's amazing the same way, whatever it is that makes a sour beer, a sour beer. I know yeasts are a big deal in both beer and wine. Now, the big thing is hops with beer so people are using very specific strains of hops when you buy a beer people are actually asking what the strain of hop is now i've noticed that and, yeah. and that is becoming almost like with wines where people want to know if it's american oak or french oak or certain things about it that's becoming like almost a, a selling point with your beer is the type of hops it was aged in people don't talk about the malts they don't really talk that's about true. the. You're right. They don't talk about malts. They don't talk about the yeasts, even though I know that's very, very it's important. A huge importance. And I know some wine people do. Like Miner has his wild yeast ferment Chardonnay, where like they just roll the barrel out into the flower field and let the flowers and stuff just naturally start the fermentation process. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's people that use certain types of yeast to get a certain characteristic out of their product. That's just not 
it's not my specialty, so I can't really talk much about it, but I know that's very common in the business. I, I, I oh. didn't know those things like that. But the one thing I do know is that obviously yeast makes a huge difference. If I took the same exact Chardonnay in 20 different tanks and used 20 different yeast strains, everyone would t- taste different. Yes. This one tastes like bananas. This one's pineapples. This one actually mutes the flavor but brings up the body. It all acts different. I think the one most important thing with beer beyond the yeast is obviously the water. All things considered, when it comes to beer, we always talk about amber, IPA, pale ale, stouts, porters, this and that. Now, that is a difference of malt, whether it's barley, oat, wheat, grain, whatever. But nobody ever talks about it the way they do hops. And I think hops and beer is the same way you talk about oak. Like, there's American and French in oak, and it's kind of the same thing, but it's weird that in the beer industry, the hops seem to be the most talked about thing for the most part. Because uh, I think that's the thing that's manipulating it right now. That's that's a, a telltale sign. When you taste a wine, you can taste the difference between a French oak barrel and a and a True. American oak barrel. You could, I can get the difference if it's done with staves or hamster bedding like <laughs> fucking thrown in there whatever the hell wood chips sandalwood beach yeah, chips it, it, it gives the wine a different characteristic yeah. than, than something that's been aged for two years in French oak or that's been aged in tuna or like large barrels like you know 45 hectoliter barrels yeah and then when it's not aged in oak you're it, like wow it, this is clear and as a salesman a lot of times that's what we talked about we always brought up oak oak was always like one of the first two or three things we mentioned I think when it gets, comes to beer, that's going to be the thing that people are going to talk about. The, the, new, the new hop craze is nuts because that's what you're tasting. That's the manipulation factor. Once again, it's not the barley and it's not the yeast that people are giving a shit about. So here's the thing. So you as a wine salesman, when you went and presented a wine and you, were, you didn't just pour for the taste, you tried to get on a menu. What did you tell people? Did you sit there and say, here's the oak it was in, here's the temperature, or did you say, hey, here's the story of these wines? What I, was like, if you could overall, and I mean super, super generalize, what did you I, predominantly talk I about? I mean, it really depended on, of course, the size of the winery, but key selling points for me were always what type of oak it was, Okay. Uh, how the, the case production was always huge. People oh, like so small production. Small production. The, Produced, hey, they only did 15,000 cases of this. They only did 20,000 cases. And only so many made it to Arizona. Yeah, and that's really, I think, something that was really important. I love telling the stories about the families. I mean, I was that way serving in the industry when I was a bartender, a server, a psalm. It was about romancing people. So for me, when I first met you and as I I, I got to know you, the one thing I did always appreciate was the stories. I, I, think, I think really deep diving people love the stories. Like if you're a huge wine fanatic, you want the story, how the vineyard start, how this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, if you go to the winery, they talk about this row does differently with this thing. And then this row is great because of this soil and blah, blah, blah. For beer, I'd like to sit down with a beer person and say, okay, what are your selling points? Do you go in and say, we use these hops and these hops are so unique. They're only growing in Oregon and we get so much of this because you can't go on case price or excuse me, not case, um, a volume. You can't you can't say, oh, we only made fifteen hundred cases. You could, but the reality is that guy could just make it again. You can't do that with wine. You can't say, oh, we've got 2017. Oh, we just happen to have more, unless you know those people out there who are shady who do it. But the reality is you can't say you have to wait to the next vintage. Beer people can say we made Stone Ruination 2.0 and we made it again and again. They have to say 
oh, we did it with these hops or this yeast. Because what else are you going to really talk about, I guess? Some people are doing large once-a-year releases in the beer business where they get a specific type of hops. They just happen to have the fresh uh, peaches, the the whatever those peaches are that are grown in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Cascades, but uh, whatever they are. Yeah. You so know what I'm talking about. I know about. which ones you're talking about. Everybody always talks about the Denver peaches. Yes. So you happen to have everything fresh and you make this one batch once a year and then you oak age it for nine months and you bottle it and sell it. That's your selling point because you're only going to have it once a year. It's, at that point, it's like a wine. That makes sense. Yeah. So if, then if you, you have, have a special ingredient. You have that story behind it with everything. Your lager, your pilsner, stuff like that. You could put that shit out every week. As long as you have the barrels and the, the room, you can keep pumping that out. Palisade. Palisade peaches. Yeah. yeah. But you're right because... It's it's those very few things that I think people can talk on because I guess from there the the core of wine beer distilling is the story. How did yes. how did you as a winery get started? How did you as a distillery or brewery? Did you inherit it from family? Was your you're the first family here? Were you the first person to put it on this hillside? Were you the first brewery to add this hop mutation that came in? It's fine. So if you're sitting there saying. I sell my wines because I use this oak in this many cases. And then in the end, you get down to the story. So who are you selling for? For mass production, uh, fries, Kroger's, those things. Do you just talk about here's the oak and here's you know, the price? It, but if it's a little itty bitty tiny store like an AZ Wines or a student restaurant, do you say here's the story two, of the wine two or wine, beer? Two wineries next to each other. I say I represent both of them. One of them, a gazillionaire bought it and pays big names to make his wine. The other one is a love story. Me selling the love story, I'm telling people about how the family met, how the husband and wife mortgaged everything that they owned to buy this little piece of property. They had their little dog. Their first vintage of wine is called Molly's Block because it's named after Molly, uh, the dog the that was dog, in the vineyard. Yeah. And here, let's try the Molly's Block. Now I'm giving you the insight into it. That winery I'm selling on the passion of the family. Now the, the gazillionaire next door hired Heidi Barrett, got the best oak barrels in the world. Sent it to every magazine and, and wine critic. 100 points from everybody, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm talking about how the fact that no expenses have been spared with this winery. This winery, he's hired, hired the top female winemaker like in the United States. You got Heidi Barrett making the wine. They only did... 250 cases for the entire year. All technology, it was, it was, gravity driven. Things yes. Like that. They did it through this metrics program with the barrels. And I'm talking about the technology they use in the winery. I'm not talking about the love story. I'm talking about the, the money that was put into the facility. Both winers are, and they share a vineyard. They, they're right next door. Two, <laughs> two, two different selling. You can pee into each other's vineyards. Two, two different selling So points. to you, so to me as a consumer, or I guess not a consumer, well, all right, more or less a consumer on the outside, my first thought isn't necessarily the price because, you know, I like to buy certain wines that I, I love in stop or Cabernet or is it whatever. You will go into a cell and say, all right, I know this guy. He likes the stories. He's small boutique. I'll give him the story. And this is the kind of guy who's the uh, he likes the image more. He's the Instagram person. He wants the, the hundred point stuff. So you as a salesman will go in. And if you know the person, you're like, OK. I'm going to tell him the story of the, the family and the dog and the vineyard block, but this guy doesn't care about that, so i got to tell him the story of how it's the best winemaker, the newest thing, and this blah, 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 and so it's that. The, so for the, you as a salesman, you're, are you focusing more on who's going to buy it, and then you have to relate the story of the wine to the person who's buying it, I guess? It depends. I mean, those are the two... If, 
that is a perfect example I gave you though with the two wineries directly next door. They have the same fruit that is owned by two different people and the different selling points. I'm going to tell the story of the, the property and the wine. At the end of the day, I hope people buy it based on the best price versus the quality wine they're getting. But the mom and pop restaurant is if I if I showed them at the same exact time, I can guarantee you that the mom and pop restaurant is going to want to buy the mom and pop wine with the guys when I'm telling the story about Molly's Block versus the gazillionaire's wine with the, the hot chain shot restaurants. But but if I go over to the 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 guy who's the hot shot retailer that has a bunch of businessman clients that are coming in, he's not going to tell his big businessmen dudes the story of Molly's Block and the dog necessarily. He wants to tell them the story of like this is the best of the best. This is going to go awesome in your Ferrari with your <laughs> trophy wife and your, and your house on the hill. Massive hills. hedge fund. T- yeah. uh, yes, exactly. Which hedge, I have a friend like that he- who, who's hedge, straight up money. Get, hedge like, fund guy does not want to buy Molly's block. Exactly. Because he doesn't care about the story. He wants to say 100 point wine cost me $500 and the label is made of gold. Totally. How dope is this? Yes. But the one thing I noticed when you would sell you always talked about the story of the vineyard. You never went yeah. to any single person who walked in that store that wasn't the owner of the store, that wasn't the buyer of the store. The customer who walked in the door, you gave the story of the winery. But I think about like Rocco de Frasinello. The, the yeah, Suga the Brunello. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Brunello. They did the Super Tuscans, but it's a... Com- uh, yeah, the, I'm it, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. The La Sugheri. It, it's, it's a combination project with... Uh, the Bordeaux guy. Ch- the Bordeaux Chateau Lafitte and Penerai, the watch guy. Like, so this is tons of money. This is royalty from around the world that's doing this. I never really talked a whole lot about their vineyards. I talked about their building being the fact that it's super high tech. It's all gravity fed underground, blah, 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 blah. The outside is minimalistic. I never really talked about their vineyards. Whereas there's other people that I talked more about their vineyards because they're, they're, they're mom and pops. Yeah, the hill like that he hand planted. What's the one from Argiano at the back end corner? Uh, Fasacole. Fasacole. Yeah. Like I've never talked about Fasacole's fancy winery. Like they don't have a fancy winery. They have a ba- <laughs> they, they, they have, have a barn. Barn and they have a tractor that they share with the guy next door. They have a horse named <laughs> they Giuseppe. They don't even have their own tractor. <laughs> like was that was that the tractor it. that fell into the uh, Roman aqueduct? No, that was a chain smoking. One. <laughs> That's right. funny. All right, let's go to uh, what are we on? Two A, two A. And I brought a dump bucket over because one uh, A is probably going to go into the dump bucket. It's the fanciest dump bucket ever. So first. First nose, when I nose these, I said, wow. I actually was pretty impressed by the nose of this. It's, got, it's got some dark, like, brambly fruits. Gumbles has some blueberry on the nose. So for me, like I get pie? more of a wine, an aged wine. Yes. And the difference between what I'm talking about, an aged wine for 2A versus 1A, was there's a difference between having a cooked wine or one that really got oxidized versus aged wine. Aged wine doesn't smell like something got burnt. You know, whether it was a bread, a toast, the oil at the pan, nothing. It just smells like something became older. You know, leather, certain old spices. It just smells older. And it's not a bad thing at all. Like, I actually enjoyed this nose. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm. Uh, it's unique in a weird way. It was very pleasant. And maybe it's just so pleasant because I was expecting the worst. If I poured you a wine that was like $1,000, the greatest wine I ever had, you go into that nose expecting the best. True. I was going in expecting dirty old Manischewitz. I think like, I think the right thing that we do with these Russian roulettes, and it helps sometimes, is we go in with the bar on the ground. We set the bar real low on these Russian roulette wines. It's got a weird, like, licorice nose, though, too. Mm. A little mm-hmm. hot. 
But John's making a face too. Like he's nodding. Like it's actually pleasant. Actually, all right. So here's my thoughts on this. It's it tastes light, but there's still flavor to it. It still ta- it tastes like an old wine. It tastes like actually this would be great with like food. This would complement, I think, a really good like a stew or something like that. But so to me, I actually taste fruit in it still. Like there's a little cherry in there. But then I'm also tasting like almost like a cigar box just got open. You know, there's a dirty chocolate taste to this. Almost like a, the chocolate bar hit the floor and whatever is attached to it, I'm still eating. Like mocha, almost like like powdered mocha. It's like that kid on that video that actually ate the spoonful of powdered dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> His mom's like, go ahead. Go ahead. Learn this terrible lesson. It, yeah, it's oh, like, it's a nice finish to it. It's still there. I can still taste it. It just tastes old. I'm not. It, it's I, not I, balanced on the finish. It's not, it's not a balanced wine. No. And I, what I mean by that is there is a defined beginning, a middle, and a finish, but they're so discombobulated like in the middle. Because like, I'm tasting it. I can't actually say this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the finish. They're all kind of there. They're not all fully pleasant, but it's a pretty pleasant wine to drink. Uh, this might be something, and I've only noticed this only because of my uh, stepfather, Gary. He's a, he, he likes cigars. And there's a very specific brand of cigars that doesn't use what we assume as cigar leaves. You know, brown, rolled up in. They actually use, like, new cigar leaf, where it's still actually green. It's a green cigar wrap. And there's a flavor or a a part of the nose that has that green cigar tobacco wrap where it's it's underripe tobacco almost. And and, and unless you're a cigar person, that would kind of not make sense. But if you're a cigar person, you actually might really like this wine. (laughs) It's, um, I think this is good, actually. It's good. I would I would bring this to dinner with your father. This would be a fun one. Yeah, this would be one of those wines you let sit. Nobody would be like, oh, I got to have more of that. And they pour it in a glass. But at the end of the night, the bottle would still be empty. And they'd be like, that was unique. Honestly, it tastes kind of just like a cheap cab at this point. Like if I just got an, oh, a yeah, good cheap, if I just bought a $9 cab out there and just drank it, it's kind of like maybe it's been sitting upright at the grocery store for an extra year. Yeah, I mean the tannin on it's very very light. It's the littlest amount of acidity. There's a weird chalkiness though. To yeah, the it. chalkiness is definitely true, and I, I don't think that's from oak though because I'm not. There's definitely some oak on it, like little, but I think whatever that is, my guess would be a lightly tannic grape with a little bit of oak tannin, but the oak tannin disappeared from flavor wise, but it's still there because I can feel it in the back of my mouth. I got to get rid of this one. A eh? that sucked balls. All right, so we'll go back to those at the end. We're going to have our best of, we'll have our unveiling too. Yeah. So let's do 2A, 2B, and then we'll do, we'll kind of have best of show and figure it out from there. All right, so. This is, hila- this is fucking hilarious. I like this. This is, this is great. Right? Ooh, that's left. a cloudy one. 1A. Uh, 2B is, 2B smells like it was a little cooked, but there still might be some life to it. I'm going to give that a minute. I think these are fun sometimes. Like this, so here's the thing, and, and I think we touched on this with the, the last podcast we did is aging beers. Just you know, we're going to remove liquor from the conversation because liquor only ages in the barrel, but once you have the bottle, that's pretty much it. Wine changes all the time. Beer, I've never really noticed aging things on it. I know people talk about it. The stout we had was from, what, 2015, that Will Wheaton beer. <laughs> but you didn't have that stout when it was first released. True. So you I don't know don't how know it tastes aged. like fresh. I will say I've had Britannomyces beers that I've aged myself for over a year, and they were way more complex, way different. The problem is, though, is beer is so much easier to drink. It's true. Those Brett beers that I had aged, 
I crushed those by myself. I opened one one night, and I'm like, this is delicious. But and that's then what that, you could do that beer. bottle was just gone. How I long do you think before beer goes bad? Do you think beer only goes bad because it loses its carbonation? Well, the Bud Lights we were drinking the other night on the patio mm. uh, had an expiration date of... 27 minutes. August 10th, I believe. <laughs> so three months for them. But the Will Wheaton beer... Was years. uh well, it was already four years old. It was bottled on seven fifteen fifteen. Yes, yeah, four years. That's so it's already at four years, and that beer could have gone more years. But see, I don't know well enough to know beers that age because the only time I ever had aged beer was the Stone Leviathans did a series, and honestly, maybe just I don't know because I can't appreciate something like that. I didn't think they were any good, but granted, at the time, you know, to be fair. I wasn't exactly into those styles. Now that I am, I'd still kind of wonder how does a beer age? Like the the tannin isn't there. There's obviously I don't think there's acidity to it, with the exception of the CO two leaves its carbonic acid, you know, kind of injection into the wine. But like, what is it that makes a beer age? Is it the fact that the malt still has sugar, like unfermentable sugars in it, or what? I just I just don't understand beer aging. And I think the fact of aging beers is going to be like stouts. And once they've been in a whiskey barrel, then they go in a can or a bottle. The flavors have a chance to integrate and they will change. Um, With some of the sours, they will use a wild yeast, stuff like Brett. So once it goes in, it takes a period of six months as that beer is changing because the wild yeast's in there. So do you think that specific styles of beer will age the same way certain grape varietals of wine will age. For instance, a Pilsner will age like a Sau Blanc. You have a year, and then it's bad. And then a Stout will age like a Cab. It can just yes. go. Without a doubt. I okay. mean, I think that something along the lines of a Stout will have more ageability. I don't think you want to age Guinness or... Well, we're not talking about the cheap stuff. <laughs> right. Well, Guinness necessarily isn't cheap either. Let me rephrase the cheap part. The, the, the mass-produced stuff. You know, some of these stouts that are put out, they've already been aged for months in barrels. I know that the fire barrel that Renhouse does, they can it and they don't release it to the public for like eight months, nine months after they can it. And it's already been six months in barrel. So that beer, by the time it comes to you, is already over a year old. That's interesting. I just I want to see how things go with how beers age and what the flavors that'll come out. Cause one thing about wine that I've learned is, um, you know, when I meet certain people who prefer older wines, older aged wines, they like certain notes and flavors from old aged wine versus myself. I love younger tasting wines, but I like the, uh, like when everything comes together, the tannin kind of smooths out and the acid is well integrated. So to me, it's almost like the teenage years <laughs> of wine where it tastes the best, like right in that middle. I don't like those old aged wines. I think I've had maybe just a couple where I went, wow, that's really old. I love that. And, you know, beer's been produced for thousands of years, but we're just hitting a certain type of beer thing that's going on right now. In the like world. experimental beers. And, and what I mean by this is forever we had the the generic, the, the Pilsners, the lagers, the Bud Lights of the World, the Michelobes, the Genesees. Then you had some stouts. Then Pale Ales became a little popular. Then Hefe's came out. But what's happening right now with beer is pretty crazy. The aging in alternate vessels, the using of different types of fresh hops 
Fresh hops is becoming the new gold mine in America. True. I am so dumb right now for not buying a warehouse and growing hops. Forget growing weed, growing hops, because everybody needs these certain strands of hops, these citrias, these mosaics. There's just not enough. Do you think produced. you could do that? You think you there's could be a time where because obviously grapevines grow outside on hills, this and this and this, that you could treat hops like weed and grow it in a warehouse, strand them yes. up and run 100%. certain lights, certain yes. soils, and just it, crank them out all year it, round? It's related to the marijuana plant. It is. I know that. I know that you only get one or two harvests a year. I think it's one. Yeah. yeah. And well, I think that's for maybe outdoor but hops. Same thing with weed. Weed you can only do once a year, but if you have it indoors and you do it right... Some of these breweries, once again, if you produce a bad batch, you dump it down the drain, you start over. It's not like wine barrel production or doing the wines where you know once a year wines are getting harvest, harvested. Beers, these guys are producing beer at the corner every single day. Every single day they need a new fresh batch of hops. We should do that, Damien. Let's go buy land in the middle of nowhere, build a big ass warehouse and just Let's grow, grow the hops. craziest hops. There's gotta ever. be no re- there's gotta be no government regulations. It's that's not, like- not plus we could patent our hops if we make a new strain. Yeah, I like it. The cans cop hop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. Uh, I like it. You said that like you had already like had that planned out nope, in your mind. Pop, popped into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of all of our uh, all of our hops just popped in there. All right, so uh, so I'm gonna wh- start. One B smells pretty good. They both smell great. Do you me. think one B smells good? I think it smells great. Oh, I think it's terrible. No, smells good. It smells uh it smells bright. It smells like hoisin sauce or or boysenberries. Like it smells like Chinese. Food sauce. There's a weird dustiness to the nose. It's, de- it's funny you say that because you're right. I definitely agree on the dustiness of put this right. It's Someone smells, sniffed what? <laughs> smells like paint. It smells like latex paint. Like it's a dustiness to this. The the 2A to me smells just awful. It's a chalkiness to These it. These are bees. I know they're bees. I'm saying, no, 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 no. Hold on. These are both bees. Oh shit, they are. Okay, so 1B, 2B. Yeah. All right, 1B. 1B sucks. 2B is great. You have 1B as your wine. Yes. That you picked. Yes. Uh, have you tasted it yet? I have not because I can't get past the nose. <laughs> Dude, it smells like flat cola to me. Okay, I can see right that now. a little bit. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to put that. It's just not good. I knew it tasted it. I could smell it. smelled like shit. I knew it was going to taste Now, if I was a bum on the streets, I would still drink it to get drunk. Oh, so if you're an alcoholic or a bum, this would still be drinkable. I have I have friends that would probably drink this on Thanksgiving. Oh, that's I, that's a hundred percent true. Okay, so there is no beginning, middle, or finish. It is right from it's one flavor, and then it goes downhill from there. And I don't know what that flavor is, but it's not pleasant. All right, <laughs> that tastes like absolutely nothing when I just drank that. It's like it tastes weird- like somebody took a Coke. And then they poured, if you took a can of Coke and then you poured in five cans of water into that Coke, it was so diluted that there's nothing to it. Yeah. It smells weird and not good. And it tastes like almost absolutely nothing. All right. Let's go to 2B. All right. So that one's, that one's done. 2B. All right. So the 2B 2B smells like kind of like candied fruit on the nose. Like it actually has a sweet, there's a dustiness to this. Like the 2B, you picked right, you, you chose. Right. I know. What does he say? Because I chose wisely. Poorly. You chose wisely. 
I chose Porle. Now I like uh, this this 2B actually smells nice. The nose is dusty though, like it's something in there. It almost tastes like a old Cotarone. So it there's a there's a hint of like black pepper in there. Yes. All right, you got Hardcore, that too. Hardcore. That's Excellent. why I want the Cotarone. Yeah. It it has a lot of pepper. It, in it smells like somebody ground pepper, and then after it kind of settled, the dustiness of that ground yeah. pepper kind of pops you, out. Wait, do you try it? All it's right. it's full ground pepper on the on the palate too. Now keep in mind. Neither John nor I know what we're drinking besides backroom wines. And then, like I said, the temperature is mm. 80 degrees, but yeah, flavor-wise... Holy crap, I see what you're talking about. Tons of black pepper. It's right, but it's too light. It's way too light to be Syrah. All right, there's almost no tannin to it. There's a little tannin in the back. Almost I had to get, like, literally low acidity on this at all. No, actually, there was, like, no acid in any of these wines. No, there's definitely no acid in any of these wines, which is weird because one of them should have been really high acid, but definitely wasn't. Actually, that doesn't taste bad. That tastes like something I would drink to start off the drinking. They like when I walked into a house and cracked a bottle, this would be the first one I did. So as I got ready to drink the better things. Like it would be better with Leopold's blackberry liquor in there. <laughs> like all my pancakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Funny, the the best wine so far has still been the Viognier groundwork. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a feeling that was gonna happen with this one anyways. Honestly, these also might be better at a lower temperature. Well, not really bad. Well, what we'll do, let's take the two good ones, which were only the ones you picked, the Bs. 2B, 1B. Maybe chill those down a little bit. This 2B is not bad. It's funny what wines will make it and what ones will just immediately obliterate and fall apart. All right, so do we want to unveil some of these? All right, let's start with the ones. All right, so your 1A, which was completely undrinkable. Completely undrinkable. I mean, it was, to me, 1A was the worst of all of them. Yes, agreed. What is that? That's funny. Is that Fumin? It is. Let's say the grape so we don't piss off producers. <laughs> this is actually very interesting. Why is that interesting to you? We'll because get to it. Because it was a high-end wine at one point? It was a high-end wine at one point. So it's from uh, an area, uh, Valle Asarco, in the far northwest of Italy. And the houses look almost like... It looks like Switzerland, the way it all looks. The wines are typically very light-bodied. They make a lot of very high-acid whites. The reds are softer reds that are fruit forward. Um, Furman is actually it's actually a really great little wine. So is Furman the grape? Yes. It's not a region. It's the grape. I believe so. Hold on. Let me double check this. You look at that one. So I'll talk a little bit about yours because I actually like this one. All right. So 1B was, and I'll say the name of this one because I like this one, the Novelty Hill Cabernet Sauvignon from 2009. It, it makes more sense when you talked about the flavors of a cab being in there and the lightness of it. Because is Novelty Hill their That's introduction? Their, it and is. Januic, yep. Is it Januic or Januic? Januic? So, so Fumin is an actual varietal. Oh, okay, so it is the grape. Yep. It's often used as a blending grape. It's grown in Northwest Italy, blah, 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 and Valadosta, blah, 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 blah. So typically light, fresh, and fruity when you buy them. They're very, almost like a Twizzler characteristic. So we were talking about this. Is this an ageable wine, or is this meant no, to be drank quick? No, it's not meant to be aged. They're, okay. typically, they're typically unoaked, or they're aged three months in a neutral barrel kind of thing. But typically they're unoaked, and they're meant to be drank within one to four years. So we kind of nailed on that a little bit. We thought that it, this is over, a wine oh, we should have drank oh, immediately. Oh, over the hill. Over the hill and buried? <laughs> yes. Yeah, all right. That makes more sense. So Fumin is a... 
I'm sure there's a producer or two that make amazing ones. I'm sure yeah, they'll make good this, ones. This producer is fantastic. But it's meant to be drank soon. Kind of right. like a Saw Blanc or something you like sh- that. You should not be oh. drinking a Fumin from 2010 and 2019. Is that what that is? 2010? Yeah. So it's yeah. nine years old. So and definitely, once again, definitely had not stored properly. Cannot put it on the great varietal producer or anything like that. But definitely something. So drink Fumin sooner than later. What's it so, close to? Like I guess like a Beaujolais or Pinot that's Noir? That's actually... actually that's a good way to put it. It's like something like Gamay. Okay, so quick drinker. Yes. I liked it. Yeah, I, I'd be intrigued to see how that would taste brand new, which we'll do one day, I'm I'm guessing, just because I know who's right, bottled so, this. So, so you enjoyed Novelty Hill. I did. I, I think Oh, nine. It actually held up really well. It did. So I got some other ones from back there. I'm actually pretty excited to see how they turned out, like the Merlot and some other ones yeah. that have been... I, I think this one uh, was the same. Remember, we did this, uh, the Cabernet ones, the ten, the sub ten dollar mm-hmm. bottles or whatever, and we had that Rodney Strong from two thousand eight, where it wasn't bad; it was just old. I think this is along that same lines. Like it definitely made it to two thousand nine, and it's a drinkable Cabernet. It lost a lot of fruit. Lost a lot I'm, of fruit. I'm, that's from not being stored properly. If this wine was stored properly, it'd probably still be bright and fresh and doing well. Like I sped age this by. Sitting it in a box in a hot room. <laughs> so it's a 2004. <laughs> no, but the funny thing is, is now that I see what the bottle is, and clearly perception changes the way you think when you drink something, is now that I know that this is a cab, there's old cab flavors that are coming out. So like there's certain cab flavors as, as it ages that are very predominant versus like, you know, fresh fruit kind of a thing. And I can now smell in some of this. I'm like, oh, okay, I see... There's a flavor or two on the nose that I'm like, yeah, that smells like an old cab. All right. Your favorite wines of the day were my two. Yes. The two, two what, B was probably was my favorite. Two, two B being the favorite. Your second favorite was two A. You ready to be blown away? Please tell me you got two the a, other Fumin. Two, two A was the other Fumin. Holy shit. Same year, 2010. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Dude, that's what my mind is blown right now. Holy shit. <laughs> I told you. I said, wow, that bottle looks similar with black. By the way, guys, seriously, 100%. No fucking clue. He picked the exact same wine. It tasted completely, completely it, different. It's like two different wines in a bottle. It's two different wines. Like, Dude, this, the 2B is so much better. This How one, is one Fumin better than the other? Well, yeah, this one's drinkable. The other one isn't. I love, dude. I knew it too. Remember, I sat there. I was like, that bottle looks similar, just because of the way the top looked. Dude, when you that's un- insane. When you unveiled this, I didn't want to blow it. I was like, I'm pretty sure I grabbed it. <laughs> I just grabbed a bottle out of the box. Wow, All right, dude, I'm blown away. Yeah, I'm absolutely blown away that one of them tastes like shit, and one of them is my other favorite one. Yeah, nuts. So, oh, dude. So we got to drink some. So, about that. So, so, so we have to drink some good food in here at some point in the next couple episodes. We have to find some good ones and do an episode on it. Just as a, that, that's as a BS wine, though, as right? A tribute. Right, but there's other producers of I it. I mean, we should reach out to somebody see if we get a brand spanking new one. Yeah. Dude, holy crap. I can't believe you took the exact same bottle I did. Yeah. And mine sucked, and yours was the better of all of them. Hey, that's I got, insane. Hey, I got, a, I got a certain talent. Yeah, you got a weird talent. <laughs> By the way, just because... Uh, all right, so... All right, we're going to come back to that, but I'm just going to quickly this. So 1B was a Barbera from 2012. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. I have no where that I have no idea where this bottle even came from. Neither do I. Who's the importer? So I actually know what bottle that is because I'm I've seen it before at Bevmo. So who knows? It's a quintessential wine. Huh. Twenty twelve. Dude, I can't believe you grabbed the exact same wine I did. I love that. All right. Out of thirteen to twenty cases that are back there, 
you grab the exact same one. <laughs> yep, same one, same vintage. That's insane. So this Barbera has a coffee scent to me now. I got the coffee a little bit. Coffee grounds. Yeah. A- after, by the way, it was ran through hot water, not fresh coffee. Yes. Like already dirty, dirty old grounds. Yes. Like nineteen uh, fifties cafe grounds. I still can't believe that those two are the same wines. This one has that. What's that? That pepper is very defined in this wine. I wonder why. Like, you've clearly stored most of them the same way. Why is that? And I know this is wine, and it's just the way wine is. But the fact that that wine, one the same Fumin, is good, and the other one is straight trash. That blows my mind. Not even like, okay, they're kind of a little similar, kind of different, but like literally night and day. So I would say they were probably stored in the same box much of their life. Maybe. Maybe one was bad to begin with. Maybe one. Maybe had, one sat at the edge of the box, while the other was in the middle you of the remember, box. Th- these these were stacked up on the rack at the house. Yeah, the, but how about how about when they came in? If they came in on a tanker, maybe that one bottle at the end was at the very edge box, totally. and this one was in the smack yes. middle of the cases the, and stayed cold the whole time. After ten years of wherever this wine has been before it came to me, it might have been bad before it came to me. That's crazy. It's like, I'm literally, I'm honestly like, that's really crazy. Your mind is blown right now. Yeah, it is. It really is. Because to me, I'm also thinking about how you and even me sell wines to try to make it easier for people to try. But then could you imagine if you opened up the bad bottle to pour to people and they'd be like, this wine sucks shit. And then had you poured this good bottle, people like, wow, that's amazing. The amount of differences of sales you would get by pouring the good bottle versus the bad bottle are vastly different. Or the or the person who goes and says, ooh, I want to try this wine. They buy it, and they happen to grab... There's 10 bottles on the shelf. They grab one. The one they grab is bad, and they drink it, and they said, that wine is horrible, and they and tell all their friends, drink it again. never drink food again in your yeah, entire ever. life. Ever. Yeah. I was prepared to say... I mean, we kind of... We talked on it for like 20 seconds, but like, okay, yeah, drink it immediately. But maybe there's some people out there who are aging some fumin just to see what happens. And turns out, actually, you can age it a little bit. That, that to me, is the quintessential hardest problem with wine. Is you walk into a store, and you grab a bottle off the shelf, and you grab the wrong bottle. And you don't know you grabbed the wrong bottle. You just saw the label, and you're like, I love this wine. And then you drink it, and you immediately go, oh, wow, that is just terrible. And you you are the unfortunate unlucky person you got the lemon you got the bad car that falls apart all the time and you never want to buy that company ever again and not only do you not want to buy fumin maybe you look at the label and you recognize it and go they made a wine that was so bad i don't want to ever drink that brand again so now you lose all those sales from that one customer i mean one corked bottle can completely turn away somebody for life for life and they might not know it's a corked bottle they might just say Wow, this wine tastes shitty, this vintage. I'm never buying this again. Yeah. People are so fickle. Plus, when there's 10,000 Cabernets on the wall, you happen to be loyal to one, and then they get a bad bottle. Uh-uh. And you lose them. I'll, I'll go buy something else. It's thousands of dollars over that person's life that they would have spent on you is now gone. So why people that take shortcuts with wines, like as far as like buying cheap corks, cheap closures, like they're like, oh, I'll get away with it. It'll catch up with you in the long run. Like, Maybe, but to sh- play devil's advocate, if you have a corked wine and somebody drinks that and doesn't know they can return it, bring it back or whatever, they'll never do it again versus if they had a screw cap and they drank it and they're like, oh, cool, you know, now I can drink it all because I never had that corked flavor. You might actually in the long term save more clients 
by using synthetic or a screw cap Dude. versus if you have a corked bottle. And the older I get, the more I'm sold on screw tops. Me like, too. I'm with you, man. Screw tops are I, fantastic. I, I think the deciding factor was that one Shiraz that I have one bottle left in the back room. The Walla Walla. That uh, we're aware of. We're aware. Yeah, Walla yeah. Walla is Washington. Sorry. That was fresh as a fucking daisy. Was it 14 it, years old or yeah. something? Yeah, and stored next to all these wines in the back room. Dude, it was killer. And it's drinking amazing. You would have no idea that it was even aged the way it was. And screw top plus quality producer. Yeah. But the fact that that cork is not flawed, that cork is not letting, it's not becoming brittle or dry. It's not letting in too much air. It's sealed. It's a screw top. Yeah. I wonder if in the future, though, if you live close to, let's say, an ocean or a lake or something, can that capsule rust? Because it's what it's no, aluminum. No, I don't think it's Steel? a. I don't think it's a rustable material. It's not a rustable material. I, I worry about the seal being broken at some point because somebody hit it or pressure differences. Maybe just got you old. You think it can maybe pop maybe on maybe a a mechanical failure in the screw top? Ooh, that'd be intriguing. What hap- yeah. what happens when that plastic little piece over the top dries out a little bit after 10, 15, 20, 40 years, 80 but years. can it, though? Because, it, again, it's still some type know. of steel, I, I, aluminum, I tin or something. I don't know. Did you hear about that Christie's auction that they're auctioning off the bottles that were found in, like, the Mediterranean? No, but that's awesome. All right, so... Tell me about it. You're, you're the stat guy. Let's. Do we have any new stats? Christie's Auction House is auctioning off couple of the coolest bottles I've ever seen in my entire life. So they have like barnacles and oysters attached to them? They, they say this is the most fascinating wine lot they've ever auctioned off in the history of Christie's. So before you continue, do the Christie's people get to drink one of a wine? Like let's say they find 100 bottles at the bottom of the ocean. Do they get to drink a wine to try the wine and then put it out? Or they just say, nope, none of you get to try it. We're just putting it, it out. We're going to make all the money. depends on, I'd say, the type of lot it is or what it is. Okay. Typically, no. I didn't think so. However, so this lot uh, was found in 2010 off the coast of Germany at a depth of 40 meters in a decayed wreck. Uh, There were 14 ancient bottles. They did open one of them to test it, and it tested as a powerful red wine, and it it was believed to be, be bottled between 1670 and 1690. Dude, that is so cool. These bottles have survived for over 300 years under the ocean. Where they cannot oxidize. And they're, in, and they're in marbled patina glass that are sealed in wax. Like the whole... Uh, dude, that is so cool. Let me see this. Wait. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to put this... So this auction... Looks, I can't wait to see this auction. Okay. That is the coolest they, they looking look glass. Like, they look like there's genies in the bottle. It does look like <laughs> there's genies. This looks like something out of a video game where you would quickly yes. chug it and all your life would come back to you and like so you could keep fighting. Prince of Persia, the game, and that's like, like, that's like, the, that's like or, the extra life bottle. All right. So <laughs> estimate, what do you think those will go for? 50 each? A bottle, oh. fifty thousand each a bottle. Oh, it's got to be more than that. Think so? Got, Are they doing one by one or like all? I, like I one don't one? know. Uh, that's just off their social media. Dude, we should we should out, when those things happen do like a GoFundMe page. Be like everybody chip and we're gonna drink the shit on on. You on get one medicine dropper worth for your three hundred dollars. For your three hundred dollars, we will send. I'll send you for a the, bottle for, of honest, something. Honestly, that's not that, they yeah. they got to go for a hundred grand each. Think so or more? Well, the Thomas Jefferson ones went for like sixty or seventy something. But granted, he had like thousands money is different there's there's crazy chinese 
CEOs. Uh, that's a good point. Especially when you say there's just 11. Want, yes. Would you say there's 11 of them? In the 1600s. By the way, oh, yeah. those bottles were bottled 100 years before America became a country. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, also, Thomas Jefferson, I see you. Uh, by the way, how did I always wondered how when they bought because nowadays when I bottle, you inject nitrogen into the bottle and pour the wine. So back then they didn't do that. They just put the wine in the bottle, put the wine in the bottle and some dude with a big hammer hammered a cork into it and they yeah, dipped it point. in wax. Yeah, there's probably <laughs> there's no OSHA. That back wine then. is going to suck. It's going to be it's going to taste like bottle one a <laughs> <laughs> but worse. <laughs> but, I'm telling you What happened Alright nine, nine, nine years Damien What happened in the 1670s Go I don't know Heck, Me neither <laughs> One Or what uh, 100 years before The Revolutionary War 80 uh, years Before was, the Revolutionary War when did, when did We land in America The 1490s Columbus 1492 So it would have been Maybe Magellan I think Magellan was way before Columbus because he sailed around. Oh, no, he came after because he sailed around the world. Yeah, he sailed around the world. Yeah. Wow, dude. Still, I I think you and I at some point, what's the oldest wine you've had? Because I know that we've I'll, had those ports from the, the ports. Eight, from the 1800s and I had a Riesling from 1927. Th- OK, my oldest one was a Riesling from 1912. And I only remember that because somebody was like, dude, the Titanic sank six months before this wine was made. And I have met a couple people who have had stuff from like, yeah, man, we've had 1800s wines. Or, or, or what'll happen is I'll also see on Instagram someone opens up like an 1812 Yakim or something somewhere where I imagine they hand wrote the labels. And something like Yakim, I could see it holding up, but I don't know about some crazy. I mean, that shit could be like their Manischewitz. They happen to be in a bottle back in the 1600s, just their rock cut. Like, yeah, technically it's that it's old, Boone, but it's still it's, shit. <laughs> it was Boone's farm back in the day. I, I could save a Fetzer for a hundred years, but it's still going to be bad. Yeah. I mean, that literally, imagine they found some yellowtail bottles in 400 years and they'd be like, we found this ancient wine. It's called <laughs> Yellowtail. Dude, no joke. There's going to be a time, a hundred percent, when somebody's going to like launch wine into space and store it in space just to see what happens. And, their winery goes under and a satellite loses track. And then 300 years later, be like, we found this lost collection of wine on the other side of the moon. Let's see what it tastes like. But it was Yellowtail who sent it up there just to make a gimmick out of it. Yeah. Barefoot, the stellar edition? Like, <laughs> bell, bell. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Barefoot, stellar edition, dark side of the moon edition. Oh, but then they're like, some dude's like, I'll pay $47 million for that. Just to, just to, just to say he got it and got to try it. Yeah, absolutely. Got, all right, Damien, future investments. Let's take wine, talk to Elon Musk, shoot it to Mars, land it on Mars, and 100 years from now, our great-grandchildren oh. can sell that for millions of dollars. No one ever asked what he had in the trunk of that Tesla. That question, Dude, that's never, a really that good question point. never came up once. <laughs> that's a really good point. What if he did have some shit in there? Yeah, he, he, it's supposed to return to not return to Earth, but pass by Earth like twenty three years from now. He has become the ultimate internet troll, and it's brilliant. He trolls people. His comments are hilarious. I would love to pay somebody to, if I was Elon Musk, by the way, not just me now. If I was Elon Musk, I would pay two people to constantly watch Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and the second somebody says something about me, have them relate to me, and then when I have a smart-ass comment, have them post it for me. Oh, I think he just does it himself. He's been commenting on people's 
everything recently, and it's hilarious. I mean, he's actually a reason to join Twitter is to follow Elon Musk. Maybe I should uh, join Twitter, hit Elon Musk, be like, Elon, I want to send some wine to space and hope it smells musky. What do you want to do about this? He's like, I'm going to send up Tesla 2.0 in eight months. Let's pop it in that trunk. He'll be like, that's already in the first trunk. I'm intrigued now. I really want to know what's in it. By the way, is it the trunk or the hood or both? In a Tesla? Yeah, it's both. I guess. Yeah. All right, I'm going to dump this. This is the cap. I'm going to put both Fumans into a glass. And now let's nitpick how one went terribly wrong and one is delicious. It's weird, too, because the one that actually tastes good has wine spilled all over the label. And I know why there's wine spilled. This was actually an extra bottle from the trade tasting that we did in Phoenix back in the day. And wheeling the cart out. W? Yeah. Yeah. Wheeling a cart out afterward with all the wine in it, it hit like a bump and like two cases fell over and a couple bottles broke. And that's where that stain came from on the bottle. So, all right, if I'm holding these above a white piece of paper, you can't tuck over the mic. Yeah, yeah, you can't. <laughs> you can literally not look or see any difference. So there's no brown edge as if it got oxidized or nuked. But man, number one sucks balls. I mean, are you saying like undrinkable? Yeah, number one's undrinkable. And number two is very drinkable. So I guess this is a good example. Sometimes you just get a bad bottle of wine. Or just because you open one of yours in the back room. That's why you always buy two or three or four or five or six. Yeah. Because you could it open makes me so nervous now with my wine collection that I've got some bottles in there that are very high end that are just going to be bad. But I'll tell you, like, Fumage should not be aged. This is not a wine. Most of the wines that you have in your house or in your back room, in your cooler, whatever, are wines that are supposed to be aged. Once again, what's the one wine that aged the best out of all of these? The Cab. The Cab from Washington. What is the one wine that should have aged the best? The Cab from Washington. Barbera should not be aged that long. Fumage should never be aged. These are actually all wines that should have been drank in their first three, four years. Well, shit, the Viognier is usually not an ageable wine, and it made it five years. Yeah. But it's five years. Good producer, and it was actually in a refrigerator most of its life. So it is interesting that the the, the good Fumin uh, smells like peppery bread. Yeah, it's super peppery. <sighs> yeah. It's just bad. It's just bad. It smells like the, all the other bad wines we've had back there. Like there's a certain smell that I just consider the back room smell. Is that cooked? Is that cooked? There cooked, is something oxidized, about it. old, musty. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess in the end, you know, if I was doing final thoughts here, Barbera, don't age it. Cabernet, even on an inexpensive level, ages actually pretty decently. And Fumin. What the well, fuck? Well, shit. What the fuck? We got to do a Fumin episode and actually talk about it. It actually earned our respect tonight. I am so confused about this wine. Totally. Yeah. Well, you never had one before anyway, so you, you have no benchmark to put it up against. No. And I had the worst and the best all in the same exact episode. That's so funny. Yeah, man. Rockin'. You got anything else? Nope. This was a good uh, welcome back. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We always love uh, having you listen to us, and uh, we're bringing some really cool stuff down the road. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, it's the Spilling the Truth podcast on Instagram. And then it's on Facebook. It's just spilling the truth. Love you guys. See ya.